Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We are thankful that you are joining us this afternoon. Joining me uh, talking is Chase Byers. Chase, are you there? Yep, I'm here. How's it going today, Joe? Can you hear me? Can you see me all right? I, I can now. I had to flip my screen over, so I wasn't seeing you there. Oh, you Good. thought you were going to be solo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was quite worried uh, about that. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, I can't speak for 45 minutes uh, alone. Um, so, uh, Jeff is not with us today. Uh, so, it's just you and I, Chase, and uh, Drew is in the background taking care of uh, technical electronic things, which we're thankful for. Um, but our discussion today is sort of a follow-up of last week's conversation. We did a somewhat of a survey through the book of Ecclesiastes, hitting on different points of life under the sun, and noted the futility, the vanity of life under the sun. Today, we're going to uh, flip that and talk about life under the sun, and except that we're going to spell sun differently, S-O-N, instead of last week's S-U-N. And so life under the sun, life under Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, Until today, I didn't realize they were spelled differently. I'm just going to go on. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Well, uh, good deal. Uh, So when we talked about life under the sun, life in this world without consideration of heaven, It was pretty bleak last week. Uh, There wasn't any purpose to life. Everything was a waste. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. There was no satisfaction. There was no deep pleasure. There was no joy, uh, no hope for life under the sun. And all of those things we find in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so wanting to think about life under Jesus But in addition to fulfillment, satisfaction, joy, purpose of life, there are other aspects of life under the sun that we can contemplate. Uh, Chase and I spoke just a few minutes earlier about this title and noted that there are dozens, hundreds of places we can go to in the scriptures. So if you're joining us today, either on the Zoom app or on Facebook, please feel free to, to jot down any questions there. Uh, we'll try to read those off as we get them, and uh, you can help us to determine which aspects of life under Jesus, life under the sun, we will focus on this afternoon. As we think about life, I think that's one of the things I'd like to, to try to discuss as we use that term. It has various meanings, right, Chase? Yeah, it, it's one of those words that we think only has one meaning, but when you really think about what the scriptures say, there are a lot of different ways we might mean that word. And so when we were talking about life under the sun last week in Ecclesiastes, we were simply talking about existing, living in this world below um, without consideration of eternity, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, And actually, there's a part of Ecclesiastes that we didn't get to reference last week. But in Ecclesiastes 9, one of the things he'll say is, for whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. And he's not talking about true life that we're going to be talking about in, in Jesus. He's just saying, in general, 
it's better for you to be alive than dead. Uh, and so under the sun, that certainly is true. Right. Yeah. And so as we think about life under Jesus, I'd like for us to think of a, of a slightly different or, or maybe even drastically different uh, uh, definition of life, biblical definition. As you said, there's different meanings of it. Um, I'd like to really begin by looking at John, the 17th chapter. When we think about life and uh, what life is, Jesus describes or defines life for us. And uh, as that word life is used throughout the uh, book of John, this sort of seems to be a good way of understanding. Uh, in John 17, is in Jesus' prayer, he says in verse 2, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one, uh, uh, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so Jesus, in his prayer to the Father, defines eternal life as knowing God. Uh, I think that's probably a definition that we do not think about very often, as, as eternal life is something, usually we think of it in the sense of a time, uh, like a timeline. Um, you know, you have your physical life that starts at birth or starts at conception and goes until your last breath. and then. We think of eternal life is simply not having an end, but continuing to live in the, the spiritual realm in particular. But I don't think we ought to think primarily in the sense of unlimited years. Uh, I don't, it doesn't seem to me that that's the emphasis of, of life. Spiritual life is not endless, endless years, you know, no calendar, that sort of thing. Um, but rather of, of the quality of being with God, of knowing God, of having a relationship with God. Yeah, it's certainly, it's appealing. And I, I certainly think that we can get enjoyment out of knowing that, that in eternity, there is no end to this. There is no end to our life whenever we go to the Lord. But really, the, the thrust behind of, of what Jesus is saying is in the fact that we know God. That's where we'll really be satisfied, is in the knowledge of Him, not the eternity, although that is a plus. Exactly. And it might be helpful for us to even uh, think about how uh, eternal life is not something that starts after we die. Uh, if, we, if we will take Jesus' definition here, that eternal life is knowing Him, uh, then we really begin eternal life before uh, we, uh, how do I say this, B before we end our physical life. They can run simultaneous, I guess is maybe a better way of saying it. Uh, once we begin to know God in this, in this fashion that Jesus is speaking, that's when we begin to have eternal life. Now, we might think about it from the vantage point of uh, now and then, uh, if we can just th think of that phrase, now and then, uh, salvation is a now, uh, or a now and later, I'm sorry, now and later. Uh, salvation is a now and later concept. In Acts 2, in verse 47, we talk, uh, the Bible talks about those who were saved, as many as who were saved. 
uh, were added to the Lord, as many as who were saved. And so they were saved then. But then we have other passages, like in Philippians 2, where Paul says, work out your salvation. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, I believe it is, uh, talks about having our, the, the, our helmet as the hope of salvation. And so something that's a hope of salvation would be something that's off into the future, that's later. So in a way, we can think of salvation as being now, we are saved, but also it's something that we have to continue, as Paul says, work out your salvation so that we have this hope of salvation, something that we will receive later on. And I think that's the same thing is true with eternal life. We have eternal life now if we are in God, but then we also have this sense of the hope of eternal life after we die as well. And so these concepts or, or these biblical thoughts are, are both now and later. And the later we might think of, or at least I do, as, as being complete or full. Uh, now we may not see eternal life or we may not see salvation in its fullness because we're still in this physical realm because sin is still surrounding us and so forth. I don't know, thoughts about that? Do you see that in a different way, maybe, Chase? Or? No, I, I, I've actually never really thought of it exactly like that, but I think you're right, and, it, and it's an encouraging thing to think about. Because not only is that going to dictate a one-time decision and a one-time, uh, a one-time giving your life to Christ, that will dictate the rest of eternity, the rest of everything that you're going to be doing when you put it that way. Exactly. Yeah, great. Living the life under the sun, Jesus, isn't just a decision we make now, but it's going to go on forever. And why wouldn't it be so if our salvation happens then and it happens later? So I, I think that's consistent with Scripture, and I think that's, that's the way we should look at it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you have some of those statements in, in Mark 10 uh, in uh, talking about the, the rich young ruler in verse 17, he comes up and says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Uh, and then they begin to talk about salvation and so forth. And then later on, as Jesus is responding to his disciples in Mark 10 and in verse 30, uh, you may have already gotten there, Chase, and I haven't. Um, yeah. Um, you're talking about when Jesus is saying, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father, or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Right. Yeah. And so we see that sense that in, in, in the future, in the age to come receiving eternal life, um, uh, but you also have very similar statements about it being present tense, uh, and thinking about the story of, uh, Zacchaeus where he yeah. says today salvation has come to your house. Yeah. Um, and so we can think of salvation and we can think of eternal life as, as being something that, that we have hold of now, but we can lose it. And so we have to continue, as you mentioned, it is, it is something that we don't just make a one-time decision and then we can do whatever we want. We have to be following through with that decision. And, and that's, that's life under the sun, is living in such a way that we do not lose that eternal life. 
I've not thought about the rich young ruler in relation to this conversation, Joe. That's excellent. Because Jesus will say to him, when the boy says, you know, I've kept all these things from my youth up. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The the giving to the poor, that's a one-time thing. That's a one-time thing that Jesus is telling him to do. What does Jesus tell him to do after that? And come Mm -hmm. follow me. Yes, you're going to do this one-time thing. But from here on out, your whole life is going to be following me. And so that, that's a really powerful point. I'm glad you brought that up. Good. It, it, is, it is really, a, it's a great study just to go through and look for uh, eternal life passages. Uh, I'm not stopped to count how many of them there, there were, but as I was preparing for this uh, discussion this afternoon of life under the sun, uh, I just began to look at all the places where the New Testament describes eternal life. And it's impressive. It, it causes one to uh, to stop and and consider: Am I currently enjoying eternal life? Um, am, and and as you just stated there, am I following Jesus? In other words, uh, Jesus' words: Am I knowing the Father and the one whom He sent? Yeah, so, and I mean the the rich young ruler there in verse twenty two. At these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. If he wasn't willing to do the one-time salvation, what makes him think he's going to be able to get, get what's at the end as well? And so he couldn't do the first step. He's not going to be able to do the rest either. Great, great point. And so we have this choice of, of two different lives that we're going to have. And it was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe I knew this and just had forgotten, but as I was preparing for this, uh, I was uh, struck by how much, especially John, talks about eternal life. And going along with that discussion of the, the, the rich young ruler there and uh, thinking slightly different context, uh, but in John, the 12th chapter, um, in John 12, Jesus says in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, And so we can think about the fact that that we have two lives to choose from. Uh, One of them is in this world. In other words, taking advantage of this world, living for the things of this world, whether that's immoral or material, or maybe it's even uh, that of status and fame or whatever, but living for this world, whatever that means for, for you, whatever your temptation is, you need to give that up in order to receive uh, or keep eternal life, verse 25. Yeah. And, and so thinking about that, go ahead. No, I was going to move a little bit backwards, so you go ahead. Okay, well, I just want to make this point because this was something that, uh, a friend of mine, William, uh, pointed out uh, in, a, in a lesson this last week that I had not thought nearly enough about. I'm really thankful. Here in verse 25, I want us to think about this life that we are giving up. He says, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 12, 25 again. Um often we talk about how love in the new Testament is not a feeling, but it's an action. And, and I think it's very appropriate to understand. It's not that love means, I'm not saying it's without emotion, 
But love is not primarily an emotion. It is an action. It's something that you do for somebody. For God so loved the world that he gave. Uh, that, that, that love is expressed, it's manifested in action. And William made the point that if love is an action, then hate also needs to be thought of as an action and not so much as an emotion, when we're speaking biblically, in other words. And that's really caused me to think, as soon as he said that, I was just struck uh, and try to start thinking of all the hate passages that I've just sort of allowed myself to imagine that as having this, this anger towards and, and this feeling of, but, but thinking of it as an action, as opposite of love as an action, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. To me, that was stirring to think about how it's not that I just that I feel hatred toward this life. I need to put it behind me. Uh, it needs to be an action uh, of hating it. Uh, and again, that's not like it, it's it's disliking it in comparison to what I, what else I'm being offered. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, yeah, I think I think that's clear as mud. So I think that that's really helpful. <laughs> Very um, good. That, that's usually the way I am. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Well, I was just—I I had another eternal life passage in John I wanted to look at. But if you had something else you, you no, wanted to, say, please go ahead. go ahead. Yeah. So back over in John six, uh, this is one of those times Peter's going to say something really profound, but I don't know if he realizes how profound it is. Uh, Jesus says some really tough things in, in earlier in chapter six about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And that confuses me. It probably confuses you, Joe. And so it confused all the people there as well. And some of these people, the Bible in John six calls Jesus's disciples in verse 60. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement who can listen to it. And in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You know, this was a really tough thing to be hearing. Um, and uh, part of that eternal life idea goes into what Jesus said in verse 58. You know, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Well, in verse 67, after all the disciples that had left Jesus leave, Jesus looks at the 12 and says, you don't want to go away also, do you? To the 12 disciples. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, again, a lot of Peter's actions after this aren't going to really communicate to me that he understands what he's saying. But what he's saying is exactly right. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And there is no one else that can offer the same thing that he can. And Peter is also picking up on the idea that if we're not following Jesus, we're following someone else. And we're going to follow something else. Lord, who are we going to go to? If we're not following you, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. And so even Jesus' own disciples, with all their flaws, recognized that he had the answers for, for the life to come. Great, great, great observation. All, all throughout John 6, the thing that helps me to understand that challenging uh, uh, demand of, of eating, his blood, uh, eating his body and drinking his blood 
is he's equating that to believing, to listening to his words and believing in him. Verse 34, the, the end of that, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, so he is that satisfaction. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And so he's talking about eating and drinking him. He's talking about believing, coming to him and believing, which again is, uh, is complementary of John 17, 3. Eternal life is knowing God, coming to him and believing in Jesus who is leading us to the Father. So, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, well, and Peter gets uh, and that here. Uh, we need never, to make sure I that never we really, I was going to say, I never really noticed all the eternal life references in John 6. That's, that's really good because, like, like you said, you've got, um, you've got John 6, 30. Uh, I just lost it. John six forty, um, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Uh, and then you've got six um, forty seven. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. So, yeah. And then fifty four, yeah. like you pointed out, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and and uh, and fifty eight as well. Uh, the end of that, he who eats this bread will live forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just great. Uh, you know that that's the theme through this coming to Jesus, believing in Him. He is the bread of heaven, so we need to consume Him. Well, what is He? He's the Word, and so we need to consume the Word, Jesus, and uh, we have eternal life. We get to we come to know God through uh, Jesus as the manifestation of God. So. Uh, well, maybe let's divert a little bit because this is very positive thinking and, and encouraging and, and not all that well, it's challenging because we have to never give up. We have to have this faith. We need to persevere, but is that always going to be easy? You know, we, we contrast Ecclesiastes and John, uh, life under the sun and life under Jesus, the sun. But is it going to, are there going to be some challenges to life under Jesus as well? What oh, do you certainly. think? Oh, yeah, certainly there's going to be challenges. And, and Jesus is never, never going to hold back on that fact. Um, in fact, I mean, one, here at the church here in Harrisburg, we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is offering the invitation, as we often say, one of the things he'll say is, you know, the gate is small and the way is difficult that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And he's talking about his yeah. own way. You know, how, how many people like imagine if you were hearing a sales pitch and the salesman said, yeah, you know, if you buy this product, it's going to be a tough road. It's going to be a tough product. It's not going to do everything you want it to do. You know, how, how many people would decide, but Jesus is being upfront. He's like, this way of life is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And he's, he's honest about that. But but I mean, as long as we're like Jesus, uh, I mean that's the key, right? Uh, that, that we need to be imitating Christ, and and life wasn't hard for Jesus, right? Uh, yeah, they didn't for, just call him the Man of Sorrows for no reason, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but would it be sufficient to say it's enough for the disciple to be like his master? Then uh, we should expect our. That sounds so good. It sounds like it was inspired. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm able to read the inspired word. 
Um, uh, yeah, that's that, that's those are certainly not my words. Uh, and and uh, I don't want to plagiarize uh, even the thought. Uh, Chase had mentioned this first earlier in the day to me uh, in Matthew 10, disciple to be like his master. And so when we think about life under the sun, what life was like for Jesus is what life will be like for his followers. And what are some of the things that we see then as challenges for the, uh, the follower of the son in, in Matthew 10? Well, one of the things that stands out to me is that they're going to be persecuted. Um, in, in Matthew 10 and verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about what you or how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So, yeah, they certainly were going to be expecting persecution. Uh, Jesus says you will be handed over to the courts. You will be beaten. You will be scourged for these reasons. Um, and so you're going to be this sheep in, in the midst of wolves and therefore be innocent and, and yet shrewd at the same time. Or wise is another translation there. And that seems so important for us to think about today. I think many Christians have enjoyed a great deal of, of ease in the sense of persecution over the last several decades in our culture. In other cultures, not so much. Uh, but, but in American society, um, religious people have even been admired. That's changed pretty drastically. Even in the last couple of years, there's, there's been a pretty huge shift to seeing religious people as bigots, as as evil, um, not just as backwards, uh, but as is actually the epitome of what is contrary to to goodness and and love. Um, and I think we need to be prepared for things to continue to get worse. Uh, I'm I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but if there's any handwriting on the wall regarding where our society is headed, it doesn't look good. Uh, for for the Christian, and so we should be prepared with passages like this. Life under the sun is is very possibly going to lead us to being persecuted, uh, to being spoken of against, of maybe even being brought up into the courts. And every once in a while, I'm thankful it's not often, but every once in a while, I'll hear even brethren talk about defending their rights and being willing to take up arms and things like that. And I'm not talking about personal protection or protection for your family. I'm talking about in relationship to the gospel. Um, we need to have life under the sun. We need to not worry so much about defending ourselves as we are about defending the gospel, proclaiming the gospel message. Uh, we can do that within the, the laws of the land as Paul did, but his focus was constantly on life under the sun, not on uh, trying to make sure that my rights weren't taken away. I don't know if I, yeah. hopefully I've said that properly there. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you've said it clearly, Joe. Um, and, and going along with that, what do you think it looks like to be wise as a serpent, a serpent, uh, wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove? What, just kind of walk, walk me through that. Well, I, I think that we need to uh, try to be very careful. We need to be prudent. We need to rely on God's wisdom in uh, what we're dealing with. We need to make sure that we don't confuse that, uh, that we become innocent as serpents. Uh, we're not trying to strike at people. We need to have wisdom in how we're going to deal with people. But then we also need to have uh, this sense of, of harmlessness or or innocence that comes from purity in God. Um, and you can think about Acts 7 uh, with the, the story of Stephen actually beginning in Acts 6. You know, when he spoke, he was wise. He, he confounded those Jewish leaders. Um, they could not resist his words because he spoke with wisdom. But then when they turned on him and sought to kill him, he remained innocent as Jesus, and even asking for uh, their sins not to be laid against them. Yeah. Uh, he, certainly, the Lord. he certainly had a backbone about him, though. I mean, he didn't lay down. Uh, he took he exactly. took the persecution. He died, but he stood up for what he believed in. He taught it. Um, and so I think that's really where this, this there's a tricky balance here. And all of us as individuals, this is, I'm, I'm always afraid to blanket statements, but I think this is generally true. Normally, people will find themselves being more innocent as a dove. And some people find themselves being more uh, wise or shrewd as a serpent. And you need a little bit of both. You, you need the balance here. Uh, and there's going to be plenty of instances with early or with Christianity now where we're going to need to have a backbone about us, where we stand up for, for our rights uh, as, as Christians and for what this country protects. But at the expense of bearing arms, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, that's, that's not where I, I would go. Um, but yeah, I certainly think um, there are a lot of really good ways to apply this now. I know here in Harrisburg, uh, one of my favorite ways to get Bible studies is to uh, sit down and, at our food court. And I've got my Bible and another Bible in front of me. And I have this little sign that says, would you like to read the Bible with me? Please have a seat. And I'd been doing that in our food court for several months and some security guards, a uh, security guard came up to me and he told me to put the sign away. And I asked him why and I'm given the, the short story, uh, the short version of the story. He said, well, it's against our policy. And I'd gotten several Bible studies this way. And I said, well, why is it against your policy? And he goes, well, you know, you're soliciting to the people in the food court. And I gave him some pushback. I said, no, this isn't soliciting. Soliciting would be me getting up, going around and, you know, trying to bug people to come. And we kind of went in circles. He brought the management down. I thought I was going to get kicked out of the place. And they ended up calling the people who own the place. And the people that own the place said, he's not breaking the policy. There's nothing wrong with what he's doing. Just leave him alone. Let him keep doing it. And that was the end of it. Now, I could have just put the sign away and never tried that ever again. Would the, I don't think that would have been wrong, but I also don't think if it was wrong of me to ask why, you know, why? because once I pushed the issue, they backed off and I can continue getting Bible studies that way. And so I would say that was an instance where it was good to be kind of shrewd as a serpent. But there's certainly going to be other times where you're going to do more harm 
and, and you're going to just kind of come off as a belligerent Christian and kind of make a, a not not make the name you want to for Christ in our actions. And so there there might be some other occasions where I would just put the sign away and not worry about it and just keep reading my Bible. And so the, I, I think you're right. Living life under Jesus means trying to navigate uh, exactly well, what would Christ do in this situation? Um, would he just lay down and just and just let it happen, or would he stand up for what he's trying to do? Um, and so it's it's like you said, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. And it's enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher and the slave like his master. It it, it is impressive to think about how Jesus responded in various scenarios um, uh, when the people at the gatherings requested that he leave. He left. Uh, he got into the boat and left in Mark 5. Um, uh, and uh, yet we see him, you know, driving them out in the, the temple <laughs> and uh, refusing to back down uh, when they challenged him on that day of, you know, of questions. Uh, he didn't just slump off. Uh, we, we need to try to best we can understand what's happening. How can I glorify God best in this situation? And when I'm able to re- to ask that question and try to get an answer from the scriptures, comparing this Jesus life to what's going on in mine, that's when I'm more likely to make the better decision. But it's when I'm feeling uh, selfish, when I'm trying to defend my, myself, when I'm worried about my reputation, that's when I'm going to have difficulty. When I do that, I'm not living life under the sun. I'm living life under Joe. I'm, uh, I'm living under my authority. Uh, and so we do need to be, be prepared for these uh, uh, confrontations, these persecutions. Um, and as well, we need to make sure that we're willing to, to give up our life for, for the Lord. Uh, he, all the way through this section in Matthew 10, you, you have those uh, thoughts that are brought out. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, brought me to uh, Matthew ten thirty two and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That idea of sitting at the table, offering to study the Bible, um, uh, you know, that's, that, that is a way of confessing uh, our Father. Uh, looking for opportunities to talk to people about the Lord. Um, we need to be striving to do that in whatever opportunities we have. Yeah. And I mean, and, and later in the, in that same chapter down in verse uh, 38, Jesus will say, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Um, it is enough that the disciple become like his teacher. How did Jesus die? He, cruci- he was crucified. And he's telling us, if you want to be like me, if you want to live life under me, you've got to put yourself to death. You've got to crucify yourself, your passions, your desires, your will. It's no longer Chase's will. It's, it's my will, Jesus's. That's what living life under the sun means. And it means even taking up your cross daily to follow him. Uh, we're willing to put ourselves to death for the sake of Christ. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, good, good, good points. Uh, other thoughts here in, uh, in Matthew 10? No, I think, uh, I think that just about gets it for Matthew 10.
how about looking over at first John then uh, again, I was just impressed with how much John deals with uh, these thoughts of, of eternal life and uh, understanding the uh, challenges to eternal life, um, maybe picking up in, uh, uh, let's go to chapter three. There's actually a couple that are before that, well, but yeah, 225 is always jumps out to me. Yeah, it, go ahead. Is, you want to talk about that is, one first? We'll... Oh no, it's I really don't have much to say about it. But John says this is the promise which he has, which he himself made to us, eternal life. I mean, that's the promise God's giving to us. Yeah. Exactly, and again, that ties in with what we saw there in John seventeen three. Uh, eternal life is knowing God and knowing the Father, knowing the Son, and look at the end of verse twenty four. Set for First uh, John two twenty four. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Uh, so again, First uh, John 2, 24 and 25, very similar thoughts to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Um, but then drop down to First uh, John 3. Uh, how about, could you read for me uh, verses 10 through 15? Yes, sir. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. But this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that, the, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Good. So again, contrasting this idea of love and hate, I'm, I'm trying to work that together with this sense of eternal life here. Uh, this context really uh, makes that contrast. Uh, loving one another is an action, um, and so is hating one another. He equates hating with murdering, and he shows that uh, the idea of hating uh, Cain, the wicked one, murdered his brother. And then in verse 13, don't marvel if the world hates you. Cain yeah. hated Abel. The world hates us. Hatred is going to manifest itself in an action, murdering, or in uh, mistreating a brother, even whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Verse fourteen, uh, verse fifteen. Um, what we need to see: mistreatment of a brother. Uh, you know, Cain's famous question: "Am I my brother's keeper?" Uh, well, the answer to that is yes. Yes, we are. Uh, we need to seek to take care of. We need to love our brother, uh, and that's all throughout this text. Uh, we see the idea of, of loving one another, um, loving our brother, as opposed to hating. If, so we don't, hatred is, is seen by God as, as murdering our brother, putting him to death. Uh, not literally, but, but they're equated as, as such. If we're not taking care of, if we're not loving, we're hating. And so instead of murdering, yeah. what we need to do is have that love of verse 16, laying down our lives for the brethren even. 
Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said, do not commit murder. I say to you, don't even say you fool, you good for nothing. You don't even think those things about your brother. It's more than that. It goes to the very way you think and you feel about your brother in Christ. That matters. Right. And so whoever is a murderer does not have eternal life abiding in him. Again, that's sort of that, that sense of eternal life in the now sense. Uh, if, if you're not loving your brethren, then you don't have eternal life, nor will you have the hope of eternal life. In order to have eternal life, you need to have not hatred, but you need to have love. And again, understanding that love is not just an emotion. Look at verse 18. Uh, my little children, let us not love in word or in deed. So love is not simply saying, oh, I love you. I, I love you, Chase, man. Yeah, I, I love you, brother. Uh, no, we need to love in deed and in truth. Um, and so it needs to be manifested, not just in our words, but in our actions. I, I've heard it said, and I, I need to go back and physically check myself, that the word love is never used in the book of Acts. Um, I've heard, I've heard that once before and yet we see love all throughout the book of Acts when the brethren are selling all that they have and giving it to the apostles and laying laying it at their feet and it's being distributed as any has need. You see the love for the brethren there. Um, and that's powerful. That's really good. Yeah. I, I, I had not noticed that before. Um, uh, yeah, I can't think of any passages, uh, where, where it is mentioned. Um, but like you said, it's, it's on every page that you see the, the disciples taking care of one another. Uh, that's exactly what love is. We need to love one another. If we want to have eternal life, then, uh, then we need to do that. Um, and so life under the sun is going to be taking care of one another as, uh, as God would have us to, uh, being unselfish with, everything that we have and everything that we are even laying down our lives for the brethren. And then also over in first John five, uh, maybe pick up in, um, it's hard to know exactly where to start. How about verse 10? He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, just such tremendous emphasis on knowing, believing Jesus means having eternal life uh thoughts there we're almost out of time but do you have a thought on that chase i don't joe what do you think that's going to look like you know if let's kind of lay this in in our lap and in everyone that's listening's lap what is it going to look like for somebody to seek jesus and to know god great question so in order to, to know God, in order to, to know the Father, to know the Son, to have eternal life, uh, it's not just going to uh, know what, to, to invent a, an image of Jesus in our own mind. Jesus, he revealed himself to the world in the gospel records. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
uh, we have who Jesus is. And so if we're going to know him, we're going to know him from the word, from the scriptures. Uh, and then knowing him, we're going to believe what he's done. We have the evidence. We're going to follow after him in easy times and in hard. We're going to imitate him uh, in every way that we possibly can. Yeah. What, what yeah, do you get? You have additional thoughts there? No, I think that's right. And uh, I mean, I, I, I tell people all this all the time, you know, sometimes I do have people that come and they say, well, I want to, I want to be converted to Christianity. Well, if you want to be converted to Christianity, who do you want to be converted to? And if they're honest, they'll say, I want to be converted to Christ. Well, how can you learn about Christ? You need to read, you need to study, you need to know who Jesus is. And God gave us the gospel so that we can know who Jesus is. And so if you want to know who God is, there's no shortcuts. You got to read. You got to study. You got to get in the book. You got to get to know God through his word and through prayer. And so those those are just really foundational. And there are no shortcuts to that. All right. Yeah. And, and, the, and the logical result of that or the reasonable result of that then is your life is going to be changed. So it's not just study. It's not just theory. But reading those things is going to produce a transformation in your life, knowing the Lord. Yeah, that's right. So... We are out of time. Let me just mention this one thing in closing then. Don't wait for eternal life. The passages that we've looked at this afternoon show us that if you are in Christ, you are experiencing eternal life now, and you will have it in the future if you continue, if you remain in Christ, if you abide in him and he in you. Uh, Take that hope with you that you have eternal life. Live like you're living uh, in the Lord and you have the hope of living with the Lord forever. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks for your help, Chase and, and Drew. Uh, hopefully Jeff will be back with us uh, next, uh, next Wednesday. Uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we pray that this has been a blessing for you. Thanks.